Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Killar jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Kimmy Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the whole entire world, hosted by two guys who both played against the number one ranked teams in their couple divisions this week with slightly different results. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me to break down all of the injuries, outjuries, line combination changes, hot streaks, cold streaks, we're going to have it all. And yeah, the person that's going to be with me on this journey is the Poobah Prognostication, the fantasy hockey robot, the IPP MVP himself. Brian Calm, Brian, how's it going? Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I'm doing good. I beat the first place team in my couple division, which was a big coup for me because I am currently, I'm going to be very transparent here, ranked 13th in my division. Actually, one really interesting thing as we get to this moment in the season is people are sharing the standings and their couple divisions on our Discord server. And there's so much parity. Like part of the whole cupful system is with promotions and relegations is that you find the right skill level to be playing against. And like there's good managers that you're playing against versus, you know, your Yahoo public leagues or whatever. And it's showing up to be true. So in my division, tier three Binghamton, this week, the top five teams all happen to be up against the bottom five teams. And four out of the five matchups went in favor of the bottom team so uh the 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 standings getting even tighter but i'm pretty much gonna need to win out so are you but we're here to give you as much fancy advice to tell you what we're thinking about improving our fancy team so that you might be able to use some of it to continue your path towards a championship my voice is back i was losing it at the end of the last episode we actually canceled our patron cast last week because i couldn't speak and uh we're gonna do it this week so if you missed out on that you can get in on it this it's not too late it's, never, it's not too late. You can go back and listen to the other, like, 93 that we recorded. They're all archived, available. Yeah, I'm glad to hear your voice is back. You sound great. Looking forward to doing that bonus show with you on Wednesday. Not canceled, just rescheduled. We, we'll never cancel anything that we promise to the patrons, of course. Brian, congrats on defeating the top-ranked team. I played against Marcus this week. Mark Kalanen, who I played in the finals last year in Cupful Tier 1, and I, I pulled out a victory there. Uh, this matchup has not been as good. So Mark right now is 12-2 and two going into this matchup, and I am 6-8 and eight going into this matchup, and I will definitely be 6-9. and nine. Brian, try to guess. Okay, so Mark has right now 321 points. And for context for people listening, generally in the couple, if you're like above 280, that's like a really, really good week, right? Above 300 is like rare. Maybe there's like a handful of plus 300s in the whole like 40 plus divisions or whatever. So Mark's at 321, just having a killer week. His team's amazing. Want to guess how many points I have? Take a guess. Uh, okay, so like a bad week so far would probably be in the 200 point region, like Low 200s, high 100. So I'm going to go, you sound pretty down. I'm going to go like 191. Yeah, 184 currently. Ooh. Projected for 217. So I'll, okay. hopefully break, I'll hopefully break the 200 barrier. But yeah, my boys did not show up. But that's fine. Because I, like you, I'm going to win out for the rest of the season, get into the playoffs, beat Mark in the finals once again and be a two-time champion. I'm just envisioning it. And I'm going to hopefully be able to use some of this advice that we're going to dish on this podcast. I guess we're going to get into it in just a sec. 
Uh, first off, of course, Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. Hopefully, they won't stop wanting to present our podcast because we're not doing well in our divisions this season. Uh, but yeah, that's a really amazing site. We're definitely never going to cut ties with them. It's going to be on, if, if we're ever not presented by DauberHockey.com, you've heard it here first. They cut the ties, okay? It's a great site. I love the tools over at Frozen Tools. They crush it over there. Great articles. It's the best. So check it out if you want to be successful in fantasy hockey. But Brian, okay, with that, we've got a lot to get to. We're going to start with the headlines, which are also the injuries and outjuries and a couple big ones this week and we're and big bad ones okay uh cole caulfield out for the season after shoulder surgery this was like Wierenski earlier the year right like it seemed like everything's fine i think even with zach Wierenski, he like left a game or, or something it was like oh we'll have to see like how he is in the next day wait for an update that was like boom out for the season and i was like well that stinks and i can imagine that's exactly how it felt for the caulfield managers when they got this news because he didn't even miss any time there was not even anywhere that he was injured of course after the fact now we're finding out that he's been playing injured this whole time and it seems like why but okay maybe he wanted to make sure he could earn a contract i saw that was one of the cynical things people were saying that he wanted to play his agent and him decided to play injured to lock in something so i don't know anyways caulfield ends the season with like a really good year right he had 36 points in 46 games that's a 64 point pace he was pacing for like 40 goals uh that's too bad and it, it, like it's too bad for him and it's too bad for the habs or you could say it's good because maybe they're trying to tank and get connor bedard but like he joins Yoel Armia, like Slavkovsky, Jake Evans, Jonathan Druen, all hurt. Like everyone's hurt. Jake Allen has been hurt for a while. I don't even know what the status is with Jake Allen at this point. Like it doesn't even matter because you probably don't want a Habs goaltender with the state of this team right now. Uh, looking at the line combinations in the last game. So Suzuki doesn't have Caulfield anymore. Uh, for, there was like a brief second where he was playing with Druen. And I was thinking, I wonder if Druen might be a, a decent pickup playing with Suzuki and Caulfield. But obviously he's hurt too. So it was then the last game, Suzuki, Josh Anderson, and Rem Pitlick. Uh, as the top line. So Rem Pitlick, a name that I didn't expect to be talking about this season as a top liner, but there he is. He even got a couple points in the last game. So Brian, what do you think? First of all, let's just talk about Nick Suzuki because he's the guy that's on a lot of people's rosters. Uh, like, is this like terrible news? Like Caulfield's out, like Suzuki was already cold. Now it's like drop territory. Or is there like a glass half full way of looking at this? Like, oh, now like maybe he'll take more shots since he doesn't, you know, he's not going to dish to Caulfield. Like, is there anything that possibly could be spun to make this seem good? Or am I like really in trouble with my Nick Suzuki shares right now? I think you and I are both in trouble with our Nick Suzuki shares. Like, yeah, there is a positive spin. Maybe Suzuki can march on alone, basically. You're, you're looking to see if Suzuki can do what Travis Konechny has been doing in Philly all year, right? And if Konechny can do it, there's hope that Suzuki could do it too. But it's not good news for anyone in Montreal to have Cole Caulfield out. Like, Suzuki, by the way, like, we were already so disappointed with him lately. He was pacing for over 90 points for the full season around the quarter mark, even just past the quarter mark. We knew that was too high. We talked about how he was shooting 27%, 14 goals on 52 shots, and how, like, he was doing way too, like, too, too well. And we thought, okay, Nick Suzuki, point-per-game pace would be outstanding if you could manage it, but we really expect you to fall down to the 70-point pace for the rest of the season. Well, he has uh, one-upped us, or many-downed us, would be more appropriate here. Suzuki has just nine points in his last 21 games, Two goals, seven assists, nine points, only 31 shots in those 21 games uh, since he had that super hot start. He's shooting just 5% and he's down a half a shot per game. And Suzuki also has just three power play points in his last 21 games. If you didn't catch all those numbers, just know that it paints a pretty grim picture. And it's not all like some of it is variance and unfortunate, but some of it is just like things aren't going well. Um, and, uh, 
I think what's happened here with Suzuki is that the pendulum has swung like really hard the other way. Um, Suzuki is doing worse than he was at the start, which we predicted, but we didn't think he'd be doing this much worse than he would be. Uh, But now that Caulfield is out, I want to lower our expectations for Suzuki even more. Let me put it this way. The only other Hab pacing for more than 35 points this season is Kirby Dock who's pacing for 51 points. Oh, and an injured Sean Monaghan, who's pacing for 41 points. Nobody else in Montreal, aside from Caulfield and Suzuki, is pacing for more than 35 points. Uh, Caulfield himself has seven power play goals. Suzuki has five, and Suzuki has not scored a power play goal since December 3rd. Kirby Doc has three power play goals. Nobody else has, like, any of any significance in Montreal. So, like, I don't know who's going to score on the power play. Suzuki! Just well, give it yeah, to Suzuki now. Maybe. We'll give it to Suzuki, but whoever was keying in on Caulfield can now join whoever was already keying in on Suzuki. Right. And, right? Like, it's not good news. This Rem is Pitlick. bad forever. Yeah. Yeah. Give it to Rem Pitlick, who, what, didn't he have uh, a few games? I'm trying to think if he's ever been on the top line before. I don't think so. I don't know, but hey, I will mention. So, yeah, it's probably bad news for Suzuki. I'm not going to drop just yet. I would be curious to see if, like, you know, like on uh, uh, Colorado this year, like, Ranson seemed to really pick it up when McKinnon was out. Like, there have been I, – I could probably think of other examples. Maybe in the chat, let me know. I feel like we've had examples of players really – oh, Malkin always seems to step up, right, when Crosby's injured over at Pittsburgh. But they're on different they're lines. They're on different lines, but still, I don't know. There's something about it. Yeah. Uh, like, but for now, uh, I'm going to hold for a little while longer for Suzuki, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm nervous. But I want to ask you, Brian, about these linemen now because they're like things have been looking kind of good for them and maybe deceptively like josh anderson he's joined the top line and he has goals in three straight games and he had four shots against toronto and six shots against florida so josh anderson a guy who we used to be into like way back a long time ago when he was on columbus and now maybe he just needs this opportunity also six hits by the way in that game versus toronto so a huge fantasy production for him Uh, and then yeah rem pitt like two straight one goal one assist games Uh, neither of them on the top power play in the last game interestingly so it makes it really hard to decide like which montreal canadian forward you want outside of suzuki now because you could get one of the top liners in anderson or pitlick and then on the top power play in the last game it was like you said doc then dodonov hoffman and of course mike matheson who's back uh like if you had to pick any habs forward that's not nick suzuki that you have to roster for the rest of the season in the cupful who who would you take i think well i i don't think i'd take anyone to be honest but if if you make me take one it's probably going to be kirby doc he's been the next best stream in montreal all season long so i'd I'd expect him to still be that next best stream even though he's he's, like not skating with suzuki well, I mean, I, I'm curious to see. I, I think ideally he is like a one-two punch, part of a one-two punch at center for the Habs, except there's nobody on the wings on either line that's really, really top six material. So I'm. we'll see how the Habs decide to play this, if they'd like to try and load up whatever they've got on that top line or still soldier on with two evenly spread lines, which makes them like really thin. Um, so I think there's probably a lot of experimentation coming, but I still think doc is the m- most likely to get points consistently, just top power play and the next most talented player in yeah. the lineup after Suzuki. I'll throw out like Mike Hoffman and Dodonov both on the top power play unit too, which I really think is where I'd be looking like Montreal 
is not going to be so successful at five on five. So I would just be looking for whoever's on the ice with the man advantage. That's probably where I'm looking to find any other value outside of Nick Suzuki with Cole Caulfield out. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I mean, probably Kirby Doc is the the front runner based on the production so far. I am kind of interested in Josh Anderson, like uh, especially in a league that's a bangers league. Maybe like just being on the top line will mean more minutes, which will mean more hits. So at the very least, maybe that will help you. And then, yeah, the opportunity to get some more goals or assists, like, like I said, goals in three straight games. So definitely not something to expect to be kept up and who knows how long this will last but like while josh anderson's on the top line i guess he's someone worth looking at uh and i guess let's go to the other big injury now over in the nhl over in carolina uh max pacioretty re-injured his achilles and i don't think we've gotten like a diagnosis yet but i think most people are saying out for the season maybe even like career like threatening injury so obviously really terrible like he came back he was doing so so well i'm really happy that i'm not happy about this at all but i am happy that we did get that tweet like right after patch came back someone asking if they should have patch or ehlers and i said ehlers then afterwards i was wondering if maybe i gave bad advice so clearly i gave good advice so not for the reason that i would have wanted to uh but yeah with patch injured I mean, I don't know. There's, is there, I guess there's nothing to say about Pacioretty. Like, let me know if you if you want to talk about him. Like, he might be done, and like he's had an amazing career, and I hope he'll get another opportunity. It's really sad, uh, but yeah, with him out. I'm going to throw a name at you that I think is a beneficiary, and you've been down on him for good reason for a lot of the season. I want to know if you've changed your mind yet. Uh, Ter- Table Teravinen, all of a sudden, is like, well, in the last game the patch ready played, Teravinen was like on the fourth line playing with like Stefan Nason and, and Stasny or something. I don't even know. But like in the last game now, Teravinen back with Sebastian Ajo and Seth Jarvis on the top line. He assisted on two Sebastian Ajo goals, and those two points brought him up to like eight points in his last nine games. Like all of a sudden now, Teravinen is putting up numbers like he used to and all these games he's been off the top power play and he wasn't even on the top power play in this most recent game though the power play was kind of weird maybe he was on the top power play like it looks like it was uh, according to frozen tools here i'm seeing teravine and aho svechnikov and nason and and brady shea were one unit that played for a minute and 45 seconds then like stasny natchez cockney and jarvis played for three minutes and 22 seconds maybe it was just like one of those things where they put the wrong one out or not the wrong one you know the second one out but like i gotta imagine the aho svechnikov uh power play is the top one right so i don't know i don't know what this power play situation is with terrifying and all i know is that he's producing and if he was dropped i brian actually in our league that we're in together i had him like this whole time i dropped him like on wednesday and then like patch got injured and then he got like a point on thursday and he cleared waivers on saturday so then John and I just decided to put a bid on him and grab him back because I was getting, you know, I was I didn't want to drop him right when he's good again. So now I've got him back. And I'm curious if anyone else is in a league where he was dropped after being so cold for so long. Would you be like rushing to grab him now? Or are you still concerned about him moving forward? I'm talking about Tara Vinen. Yeah, I'm still concerned about Teravainen moving forward, honestly. I, and with the power play situation, we sort of made fun of it last week too. And so like, I don't assume that what Caroline is doing on the power play is an accident. Like they have Brent Burns, as power play one with the power play two unit playing together with the most time. And then you've got the power play one forward unit getting second power play time with the power play two quarterback. It's all very confusing. We'll see how things shake out over the next little while. But the reason I'm not so pumped about Teravinen yet, which I'm open to it. I'm more open to it now than I have been for most of the season. But the reason why I'm not yet is because, well, yeah, things looked bad for Teravainen at five on five with Pacioretty in the lineup. He did get bumped down, but 
He has been with Aho a lot this year. Basically, uh, Aho has been Teravinen's most common center. Teravinen's been with Jarvis, and then mostly Aho and uh, sometimes Kat Kaniemi has been the way to describe Teravinen's line mates this year. And five on five scoring is not where Teravinen puts up points. It's on the power play. Curiously, uh, Teravinen's current run, six points in six games, none of those points came on the power play. He's back, and- baby. Well, he's back at five on five, which we don't expect him to be at. Like, and also like some weird inconsistencies. Like he had a four and a five shot game, but then a pair of zero shot games too. I mean, like, here's the thing with Tara Vinen. I, I know how into him you are, and I'm not poo-pooing the chance that Tara Vinen can come back and be really good. It's really, it's a ray of hope, Elon. That I just needed to explain where I'm coming from, but it is a ray of hope that Tara Vinen is on a power play unit with Sebastian Ajo, with that, there is a chance we see Teravine and return to relevance. As I've said all along, being on that top power play, and I'm going to specify with Ajo on the power play, is going to be really key. That That's the key that unlocks Teravine's fantasy value. This season, he's there right now. We'll see if it holds. Elon, for, for, for your sake, even though this is a league we're against each other in, I hope it does. Uh, and if you want to try and get some Teravine in stocks quickly in leagues where he's been dropped, I would go ahead and pick him up and see how long he lasts with Ajo on that top unit. Because this is, like I said, this is a ray of hope for Tara Vinen being uh, in a place where he can produce, which he hasn't been all season long. Yeah, like, look, like in most leagues, if a player is at free agency, he's not going to be a sure thing, right? So I think if a player of Tara Vinen's caliber, and you're saying, like, I'm so into him. Like, I'm into, like, the fact that he's been, like, a... I don't know you held on to him forever, even when, even when, it was even called, when, right? Like, but the reason about, is because he had seventy uh-huh. point pace last year, like seventy six point pace for a couple seasons. Like you know, like, he's had a great career. So I think when someone like that is hot and falls and is in free agency, like now's the time to jump. Right, and you might be right that eventually he'll be a drop again. But I think it would be kind of silly to leave him in free agency at this point while he's on a hot streak and with a new Agreed. situation. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then I guess also, I don't have, I guess I won't talk about Brady Shea anymore, but Brady S-K-J-E-I is still like doing really well. So I'll just point that out there because he's still not rostered in too, too many leagues. Okay. How about this? Uh, you know, we've been talking so much about the Carolina D and you've been talking about Brady Shea. I'm going to throw another name out there. Uh, do, do you want to guess? Yeah. It's uh, what's his name? Jalen Chatfield is it's my guess. It's Jalen Chatfield. He's on a hot streak. I know. He's on a hot streak. If, if Brady Shea or Brett Pesci or Jacob Slavin were doing what Jalen Chatfield has been doing, we'd be talking about it. Chatfield is now up to five points in his last five games, three goals and two assists. Those three goals have just come on seven shots. Uh, So, of course, we're not expecting a whole lot of this to continue. He doesn't really shoot, hit, or block either, uh, and he is a third-pairing defenseman. But Jalen Chatfield is on that classic Carolina blue line heater that we don't expect to keep up, but is at least worth a mention. Yeah, I will say that I do actually think Brady Shea is like not just on some random heater. I think he's actually really good, but like you I, have I said do, that yeah. many times. Okay, yeah. so making that and, and he continues to be. But I know I know he'll have one bad week, and then you'll be like, Ah, Elon, there you go. No, I'm good as long as he's producing. We're good. Yeah. All right. So next up, I guess let's go to um, Edmonton. Okay, another. This is not an injury, thankfully. I think we're done with the very serious injuries, thankfully. Yeah, but like 
Caulfield and Petcheretti. Imagine if you had both of them. We had some people in our Discord saying they have like both of them. I think someone in my couple division, actually, Max, uh, has both of those guys. Like that's brutal. Just like two guys that are like two of your core scorers just out for the season. I I, I don't want to diminish it, but of course we do have to move on. So let's go to some outries here. Yeah, Edmonton. Evander Kane is back. Uh, obviously, Lewis and Jeremy discussed this already on short shifts this week, but we got to talk about it because Evander Kane has not been good. Like we talked about it on the last show, and I was asking you like what you think is going to happen with the power play because Zach Hyman had been on the top power play and we were wondering if maybe now like Kane is going to bump him or what's going to happen even strength and you kind of had this idea which totally made sense right just like he'll probably go back to whatever role he had before he got hurt well I like but then we got some new news that like Evander Kane even said in interviews that he doesn't feel 100% but he's back enough that he can play but obviously that's concerning and now he's played three games and he has no points no goals no assists he did take like a lot of shots like he had seven shots versus Seattle he had four shots versus uh, Vancouver so that's good I don't know how like good these shots were like I haven't seen any metrics on that if that's the same caliber of an Evander Kane shot he's I guess he's always been like a guy who shoots a lot and then like doesn't necessarily have the highest shooting percentage but then like just t- shoots so much that he gets a lot of goals um anyways all things considered you got I gotta imagine you're worried if you had Evander Kane this whole time maybe even traded for him I know a lot of people talked about how they traded for him while he was injured to you know stock up for when he comes back like give a little in the present in exchange for some value in the future so now you might be like really nervous about no points in three games plus if we look at the line combinations it has not been the case that he's bumped like Zach Hyman from anything. In fact, in the last game, it was McDavid, Hyman, and Nugent Hopkins on like a really, you know, stacked top line there. And then Kane was playing with Drysaddle and Derek Ryan. So, okay, like obviously playing with Drysaddle is not too shabby, uh, but I'd rather play with McDavid. Oh, whatever. Anyways, and then on the power play, it hasn't been Evander Kane, right? It's been McDavid, Drysaddle, Hyman still, Ryan, Nugent Hopkins, and Tyson Berry. So, yeah, Brian, what's the uh, nervousness level if you have Evander Kane right now? Are you thinking, oh man, I made a big mistake if you tr- traded big for him, hoping for the payoff when he came back from his injury no i'm not like evander kane since he's come back few games played 13 shots 10 hits little like not not very much power play time since returning which yeah that's that's definitely a little concerning but i don't see it likely that he doesn't at least start sharing time with zach hyman on the top power play unit at some point it seems to me like evander kane is still doing what we expect him to do and the points will come uh, i will see how much he's hurting, you know, maybe he's taking shots, but they're not quite as effective because he's not 100%. But I'm, I'm still willing to give him some time. Not not to say there isn't a red flag here, but I just really do like that Kane has come back. He's hitting, he's shooting. Maybe there's something that's not showing up yet that does show that he's not, like he said, playing at 100%. But for now, I'm still holding out hope that he can be a, a good chunk of what he was before the injury. So you're saying maybe now's a good time to even try to trade for him. Maybe there are people who are panicking, as I'm sure there are, and now maybe you can get him for a little bit cheaper than you would have before. People are like, oh man, what have I done? Uh, of course, for him to get that power play time, he's going to have to bump Zach Hyman, who is like emerging like crazy this year as a huge star in the league. Like He's having such an insane... like Just these past couple of weeks have been incredible. He had a goal and three assists versus vancouver in the last game two goals in the game before versus tampa a goal and two assists in the game before versus seattle two assists versus vegas back on january 14th like it's been a minute since he hasn't had a multi-point game zach hyman is popping off big time and like so you would think like this guy's not someone who's looking like he's going to get demoted soon overall on the season we're up to now 56 points at 47 games for hyman that is a 98 point pace he's also like shooting a ton like this isn't like one of these things where you're just like ah he you know he's overperforming like he's 
shooting now almost four shots per game. These are like Evander Kane type shooting numbers. So Hyman doing everything and more for anyone who drafted him. So Brian, what do you think? Like, do you got some cold water out for Zach Hyman that you're ready to pour? Or is this more just a moment for us to laud how amazing he is and how Edmonton actually made a really smart signing one time? Yeah, that was a good signing for the Oilers and what Hyman's doing. You're not going to get much cold water from me, uh, from Hyman. Like, Hyman is doing amazing, right? He won't keep quite this up, but he is good enough to do this every so often. And for us to not really blink, or maybe even we might take it for granted, because Hyman has just been thriving where he's at. He's now up to four consecutive multi-point games. And as we mentioned, Hyman's still on the top power play, not yet seeding or even sharing time with Evander Kane, which, yeah, well, again, we'll see. Patty's mentioning in the chat, but uh, also that uh, the Edmonton Journal was saying uh, Kane also isn't up to full speed, and there was also a concussion. Like, there's a bunch of factors here that could say that Evander Kane doesn't get up to what he was doing, and Zach Hyman is the the beneficiary there. Uh, he does have four goals on his last 11 shots in his last three games, but I'm still not pouring cold water on what Zach Hyman's doing. He looks fantastic. 18 power play points in 47 games. That's amazing production. It may be a little high, even if he does still hold the deployment all the way through to the end of the season. But again, uh, whatever Zach Hyman is doing, he can keep doing a whole lot of it. So I am not at all down or going to warn anyone or say sell high. Zach Hyman is crushing it and you are enjoying having him on your roster if you do. Yeah. And like, okay, I'm not going to spend time talking about Connor McDavid and the Andrei Seidel. They're obviously doing really well as well. I guess it is worth mentioning that Ryan Nugent Hopkins also having like a career year at this point, 57 points in 48 games now, 97 point pace. So amazing for him and anyone who was smart enough to draft him, expecting him to have a bump up. Also, I guess another interesting uh, development in Edmonton is that Jack Campbell started putting some good games together while Stuart Skinner was like off uh, his, you know, he had a baby. Congratulations to him. And in the meantime, it looked like maybe Jack Campbell was stealing his job uh, he had a bunch of quality starts in a row uh, and like Edmonton's won a bunch of games and then they went to Stuart Skinner versus Vancouver and Skinner luckily for him like got the win himself and had a good game so it's not as if like because that would have been bad right for him if you had Skinner in your league and like Campbell's getting all these starts while he's away and then all of a sudden Skinner comes back and puts up like a, a lemon but no he led in only two goals on 29 shots versus Vancouver so I, it'll be interesting I don't know what's gonna happen at this point though like Jeremy and Lewis were talking about on short shifts like Campbell is the one who makes the money so maybe Edmonton is happy to go back to him a lot more if he shows that he's actually capable of handling the workload and he was while Skinner was away so yeah maybe we are looking at 50 50 rest of the way until someone pulls away once again yeah, I think Edmonton would be really happy to play them 50-50. One, to justify that contract. Two, to be getting good performance out of both players. Uh, have two goalies going and ready for the playoffs and fresh and practiced and knowing what they're doing with the team comfortable playing in front of them. I think that would be the ideal situation for the Oilers, but Campbell hasn't given them the opportunity to do that until maybe there is some some hope now. Campbell's last couple of weeks have definitely been better than the first chunk of the season. Well, than his whole season to date has been. But even over the most recent, you know, like the, the time since Skinner was away, uh, Jack Campbell's still playing below his expected uh, save percentage number. So st- better, but still not great. And still a necessary leap for Campbell, though, to stay in the crease conversation in Edmonton. Meanwhile, Stuart Skinner continues to be excellent and make his case to be the number one A, if not the absolute number one. But like I said, I think the Oilers would be happy to see both of them take time and then be able to pick one 
when they get to the playoffs. And at this point, that would be Stuart Skinner. But you don't care about that. You just want to know if they're going to have to share time. Like, this is bad news for anybody who's been getting a lot from Skinner and loves a volume situation because he might have to share a little more often than he has before. Yeah, so it's definitely something to watch over in Edmonton. With goalies, it's very hard to predict. Like, just look at Phoenix Copley, who was having this amazing season, going absolutely nuts on the league, winning every game. Then all of a sudden, he had a bad game versus Dallas, and then led in, like, two goals on three shots versus Nashville in the next game and got pulled. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, I don't even know if this guy's going to, like, stick on the team. So, like, things could change very quickly. Though I am seeing that Phoenix Copley over on LA did get the start today versus Chicago. So maybe this pull wasn't as much, like, to punish him, but just be like, all right, Right. let's just like let you rest since it's a back-to-back anyways put quick in for this game and then we'll give you the next game and hey so far two shots against and copley has saved them both so already a better start than his game yesterday against nashville uh i guess i'll just jump to him quickly since i don't know i, I he came to mind but i know we're, we're not in the cold streak section but bear with me what, what, i don't know I, I feel like is there even anything to ask right now or is it just more like we just have to tell people like monitor the situation obviously if copley continues to have bad games you have to be nervous but also i feel like don't over react right because like it's just two bad games and and by the way that game yesterday where he led in two goals and three shots and got pulled i i saw like some people tweeting like one of those goals like he didn't have a chance the other goal maybe he could have stopped so it's like you know he had like one bad goal against like it happens right so maybe i think it was just because of the back-to-back more so yeah. than like this guy stinks yeah it, it happens but copley has been like pretty bad over the last couple of weeks at five on five anyway copley has just a the save percentage and like I looked I, I had to triple check this over the last two weeks Phoenix Copley has what we'd expect to be a bad penalty kill save percentage he's had it at five on five he has stopped seven out of every 10 five on five shots he's faced over the last two weeks that's a 700 save percentage for Phoenix Copley there um, up until that point though Copley had been doing like good He's, he's been great, and I'm not taking anything away from him. So now we just have to ask the question, being where we are with Copley, seeing him struggle, uh, is, is has he turned back into a pumpkin? Is he getting tired? So I guess we'll see tonight, Elon, if there's any bounce back from him and if he gets back on his horse. I mean, Jonathan Quick isn't going to present much competition. I think if Phoenix Copley continues to struggle, then it might be Cal Peter season. And in that case, you might want to have like a a trigger finger ready to add Peterson into your lineup if LA is not getting quality goaltending from any of the two guys up with the team right now. Peterson's been, of course, seasoning over in the AHL for a little while. And I I assume he's going to get another crack at some point this season. And if if it's a point where he's able to step in and continue and be great, then you'll be really happy that you were on top of that. You're laughing, Elon. What do you, I'm not writing off Phoenix Copley and saying Cal Peterson's going to come in and save the season, just to be clear. No, no, I'm I, saying we're watching to see if Copley continues to stumble. And hey, if there's any hint that Copley isn't able to regain his form, then I think the King's next best shot is bringing Cal Peterson back up. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I'm not, and I definitely think it's possible that Copley ends up like not hanging on. I get the thing that I was laughing at is when you were saying it's going to be Cal Peters' season and that you have to have your trigger, trigger finger ready to grab him if he gets called up. Because, like, you know, this reminds me of when Tristan Jari got injured and then everyone was rushing to grab Casey DeSmith. And I was just kind of feeling like, I don't know. I mean, he's Casey DeSmith. Like, how good is he going to do? And, like, I feel this the same about Cal Peterson. Like, I just feel like even if he gets called yeah. up, I don't think he's that good. So I'm not going to, like, jump on him or recommend anyone grab him because i think he'll just do yeah. badly 
That's fair. I'd say there are a couple key differences here. First, Tristan Jari is good, and uh, not to say Phoenix Copley isn't, but he's the established starter, right? Like, there's no, and again, you could say Copley is, but Jari has a track record. He's been in that position for years. I don't think people were rushing for DeSmith. It was just to, oh, yeah, if you need starts while Jari's out for a week or two, you can go and grab DeSmith. This is a chance for Peterson to maybe take the net back for most of the rest of the season again he's had that chance lots of times but i'm not saying that yeah i'm not saying there's a high percentage chance that it pays off but i would be more interested especially if i'm in a desperate goaltending situation in cal peterson than i was in casey to smith okay fair enough but anyways right now still like copley is still up there and like like i said he only had two bad games so but definitely something to keep in mind shams is asking how's cal doing in the ahl i'm over on uh i can tell you 9 11 save percentage in 14 games so not terrible yeah he's one uh Eight of those 14 games, too. Yeah. Yeah. 9-11's pretty good. It's okay. It's not like, uh, you know, he's (laughs) not going to win the Vesna. What's the Vesna called in the AHL? Do you know? Uh, No. I have no idea. Uh, Let us know. Let us know, listeners. But okay, Brian, let's move back to uh, our Outchery news. We've got another sort of like Outchery that hasn't been as exciting as maybe people were hoping for over in Ottawa, right? Josh Norris is back. We had to wait a long time, but welcome back, Josh Norris, right back to a sweet, even strength spot with uh, centering Debrinket and Claude Giroux, the two newbies to the team. And of course, uh, the power play situation is a little bit more murky, kind of like Evander Kane, right? Like Ottawa is very stacked. And it looks like in the last game, Debrinket, Kachuk, Batherson, and Stutzla were the four forwards that got the most power play time so norris was stuck getting a little bit less uh and overall so yeah norris had a goal in that last game versus winnipeg ottawa lost five to one and norris got the one ottawa goal before that he had two other games where he was pointless um like last year for comparison josh norris had a 68 point pace right 55 points in 66 games this year now because don't forget he started cold before he got hurt which i didn't want to read too much into but just overall worth pointing out we're at three points in eight games now for josh norris so obviously he won't be this bad like he's not going to be a 30 point player but do you think he's going to get back to being like the 68 point pace guy from last year or should we be nervous that with all these new players on the team and maybe a lower power play opportunity like maybe he's not going to be able to be this good maybe he's closer to like a 50 to 60 point guy great question i i can't tell you it's too soon you know i I can't jump to any conclusions here the one thing that it is nice to see is that josh norris has been shooting like you know you're talking about this with evander kane too whenever someone comes back from injury it's just nice to see that they're getting involved and putting pucks on net at a similar rate to what we're used to if they're not being able they're not able to put up a whole bunch of points that's the next best way for us to see that yeah they seem ready i will mention a couple red flags though about what josh norris is doing since he's returned first he's not taking face-offs anymore Ottawa said that he's going to come back, but he's not ready to take face-offs. And that just makes you scratch your head and wonder, okay, so he had a shoulder injury. If he's not ready to take face-offs, is he really healed? Which brings me to red flag number two, which is that Josh Norris was supposed to be done, like, for at least most of the season, not just until the halfway mark. So this seems early for Josh Norris to come back in Ottawa. Is kind of in like the throes of desperation right now. They're, I think, 11 points out of a playoff spot with many, many teams, like 10 to 12 other teams to contend with for that last playoff spot that they might have access to. So this seems like a desperation move for Ottawa to get Norris back in the lineup this year. They really wanted to make the playoffs. And that just makes me worried that he might not be 100% ready. There were some photos on social media going around after, I can't remember if it was his first game or second game after returning, but like of all the tape, 
holding his shoulder together. Oh, no. Basically. so Yeah. So, like, this doesn't all inspire a whole lot of confidence. If I had Josh Norris, I'd be excited to have him back. And like I said, I am happy to see him shooting. But there's enough flags here to have me worried about exactly how much he's capable of. So if you're asking if he's going to get up to that 70-point pace he had last year, I'm going to go with no. I don't expect him to do that if he is still ailing. And I'm sure he's not going to heal while he's playing. So I might adjust my projection for him, which could be, I don't know, in the neighborhood of 55, 60 points. And again, this is just based on off a hunch of red flags I'm seeing. I'm also seeing... That his most recent game, he played less than 16 minutes, which he hasn't done aside from the game that he was injured in. So, uh, might have been score effects. Yeah. Like they were losing like by a lot to Winnipeg. So maybe it's not uh, worth re- like why, but why yeah. wear them out when they're losing five to one, you know? Okay. But at the same time, if you're going to, if this guy's hurt enough that they're going to sit him when a game's out of hand, well, that's, that's points. That, that's fewer opportunities to no, put up no, points, certainly. right? Yeah. So this is a, not a good situation. Like, I don't love it. It's exciting to have him back. But if you've got him and there's some big Sens fans in your division or, or fantasy league, I might uh, I might go and kick some tires and see if they want to take a chance on yeah. Josh Norris regaining his full form because I'm not that confident that this is the context that he'll be able to do that. Yeah, so uh, I'm sorry, everyone. This show's been sort of a bummer so far. Talking about Caulfield, Pacioretty, and then Evander Kane and Josh Norris coming back, but to not-so-exciting returns. Oh, one more bummer I'll throw at you since we're on Ottawa. Thomas Shabbat is, like, pretty blah. Hey, like, what is he? He has three points in his last seven, but all of them, all of those points came in one game. He had three assists versus Casey DeSmith, and aside from that, he's been pointless in all of his other games, six of his last seven games. Like, this is not the production that people were hoping for when they drafted him, so... I don't know another. I don't know. Maybe you could tell reasons for Shabbat managers to be, you know, expecting more in the second half. But yeah, I don't know. He's another guy. <laughs> but I promise. After we're gonna take a break after Brian talks about Shabbat, and then we're gonna be more uplifting in in the second part of this uh, in in period two of this mega episode. But Brian, any thoughts to reassure Shabbat managers? Well, the irony of Thomas Shabbat struggling right now is that for years we've been saying, well, he doesn't really seem to be that strong as a power play one quarterback. And this year, he's proven that that part of us wrong. 13 power play points through 41 games. So he's pacing for 26 power play points. This is a guy whose career high power play points has been 16 over 70 games. So like, that's a step forward. And Shabbat, by the way, uh, has only like that two power play points in that three-point night you mentioned. Aside from that, he has no power play points in 11 of his last 12. So uh, in a year where Thomas Shabbat seemed to have started figuring out stuff on the power play, his five-on-five production has basically been cut in half. But I wouldn't fear too much about it. I think the main reason for that is his points participation is down below 20% versus I'd say we could expect him around 40%. So he's only getting points on about half the goals that we should expect him to uh, that are scored while Shabbat is on the ice. So that's one reason to hope that Shabbat can do better. I mean, one thing working against Shabbat too is uh, he sees a lot of minutes uh, he gets leaned on hard in Ottawa, not, it always faces the toughest competition, and sometimes is saddled with a partner who doesn't really help him a whole lot in terms of five-on-five five production. So we'll see what the rest of the season brings right now with the with the success on the power play and the struggles at five-on-five. Five, he's basically pacing for exactly what he's been pacing for for the last couple of years anyway, so we'll see if Shabbat can get it together at five-on-five hold on to his power play production, which has since waned, and uh, be able to get closer to 60 points than he has been in the past. But it's been a, a disappointing, yeah, 
couple weeks, few weeks, month, six weeks for Sorry. anybody rostering Thomas Shabbat. Sorry. Okay, so we're like I said, we're gonna have some nice things to say soon, including some injuries on Florida, but the, but that where the players seem like they're gonna be okay really soon, so it's gonna be good. And then some injuries in Pittsburgh, okay, injuries coming up in, in St. Louis. It's gonna be great, everybody. So we're gonna be back in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. Hello, everybody, and thanks so much for listening to this episode of Keeping Carlson. We've been through a bunch of injuries, uh, and now you've listened to a couple of ads, and now we're going to reward you by talking about the Florida Panthers, okay, where Sergey Bobrovsky is injured, and Spencer Knight is injured, and so Alex Lyon got a start. It was actually pretty good in a win versus the Wild, but the word is, so Spencer Knight was sent to the minors, because I guess they can do that still, so it's not a conditioning stint officially, but like it clearly is, and I saw that he might even be back for Tuesday. Looking at Florida's schedule this week, they played play Monday, Tuesday at the Rangers and at Pittsburgh, and then they play Friday, Saturday. And actually, the word on Bobrovsky was he's going to miss at least three games. That included last, you know, Saturday, like yesterday's game, and then, you know, this Monday, Tuesday. So maybe Bobrovsky is back by the end of the week. So maybe this will all be for nothing, and maybe we're only going to be looking at one more Alex Lyons start. If you want to get his game, like, versus the Rangers on Monday, I, I imagine he'll play that game, and you can go for it and, and hope for the best. Uh, but yeah, uh, Brian, you love Alex Lyon, right? You mentioned at one point how you thought he was one of the better players not currently in the NHL. So you must have been excited to see him come in and get that win versus the Wild. Yeah, I was. I think I think I I didn't say he was one of the better players. I I think I said over the over the last few years he's one of the backups. A lot of guys have gotten shots in net, and Alex Lyon has never really gotten his. And he's someone I'd like to see get more than just the briefest look possible. So it's nice to see Lyon get a few games. Of course, Spencer Knight, I think, is going to be playing, yeah, another AHL game, then join the team on their road trip. In the meantime, Lyon makes a decent stream, not without some risk, and Florida is not a guaranteed win either, as much as they were last year. Uh, but yeah, I don't, uh, I wouldn't mind. I, I doubt you have room if you're already rostering two goalies to fit Lion in in such a busy week coming up. I hope you all listen to Matchup Maximizer to get the lay of the land there. Uh, but in the meantime, a single game stream for Alex Lyon until Spencer Knight is back uh, won't hurt you. And you could also Go get Spencer Knight. We'll see. We'll see if this is the time, Elon. He can string together a few good starts and make a case for a little more time in the crease. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, like, it looks like Bobrovsky also isn't long term, right? So we might just go back to where we were like a week ago. Uh, though uh, that's what I expect. Yeah. Uh, on Florida, also Ekblad and Sam Bennett both got injured in the last game, but I saw that both are likely to be back soon, so no worries there. Hopefully, uh, I wanted to focus on the top line, which has been really good lately. And if you lost a Pacioretty or you lost a Cole Caulfield, you might want to take a look and see if Anton Lundell is out there. He's obviously not going to fully replace that production, but I think that's a pretty decent uh, guy to take a shot at at this point. Barkov, Reinhardt, and Lundell. We talked about it last week when he first got on that line, and Lundell was kind of cold, but it seems like they're starting to gel, and like he's a high-pedigree guy. He's playing with these two players who are obviously very high-pedigree themselves and like producing lately. Like Barkov has 10 points in his last seven games. He's now above a point per game, which he wasn't at for a long stretch. Sam Reinhardt has 10 points in his last seven games as well still only on a 62 point pace and then that Anton Lundell now all of a sudden has a four game point streak I wonder if he you remember remember that year where like Carter Verhage was randomly skating with Barkov in the preseason and we're like oh that's something to watch the next thing we knew he was like getting a 70 point season or at least pacing for 70 points so I wonder if this is our Verhage opportunity on Lundell like uh, Duclair is coming back soon so who knows if that's going to mess with the lines but it seems like this line is doing well obviously anything could change at any time but for now I'd be 
pretty interested in Anton Lundell for as long as he's there. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on him. And also, we should, by the way, talk about Sam Reinhardt, who is on this big hot streak, still only on a 62-point pace on the season, even with 10 points in his last seven games. That really goes to show how badly his season was going before. Do you think he'll continue to go higher? Like, is that 62-point pace going to climb back up to, like, say, a 70-point pace by the end? Or is this maybe like a sell-high opportunity because Reinhardt might end up being frustrating in a little bit? No, I think it was, was it last week or the week before where I, I gave a quick nod to Sam Reinhardt and saying he was on the come up after a really disappointing first half of the season and qualified to me as a buy low, as, as silly as it might have looked at the time. It doesn't look silly anymore. Sam Reinhardt, he's definitely slowed down still since last year's 86 point pace, but he hasn't slowed down as much as his current season has made it look like Sam Reinhardt has been hobbled by uh, an on-ice shooting percentage below 7%, by an individual shooting percentage that's also below 7%, both uh, of which are several percentage points behind what we'd normally expect from Sam Reinhardt and his line mates. I'm believing that Sam Reinhardt can get up to a 70-ish point pace over the course of the rest of the season. So if Sam Reinhardt happens to still be undervalued or someone thinks this is just a flash-in-the-pan moment for Reinhardt, I'd jump on that. I I believe in him for the rest of the season. Uh, And similarly, I I believe in Anton Lundell. We've also talked about how Barkov had a slow start to the year, and I think maybe he's starting to pick it up. And whoever the Panthers can find chemistry with on that top line, I think that's a good reason to hold them together since that top line has really struggled. Meanwhile, you've got Matthew Kachuk able to produce with whoever he plays with. So while Palmieri cycles through to find the right mix of guys when it's working, I'd like to think that it'll hold. And that's why I like both Reinhardt and Lundell going forward. If Lundell's in free agency, yeah, I'd absolutely get that. Uh, go go and jump on that. Shams in the chat is mentioning uh, that he wishes uh, Lundell would get wing eligibility, which he should. That would be really good. He probably right will. now he's a, he's a center only. So maybe in a few games, you can tweet uh, at Yahoo Fantasy Care or whatever their Twitter handle is to see if they might have any plans to do that in the near future, which would make Lundell even more valuable. Yeah, and maybe he will just get it because like they seem to be on top of it. They even gave like randomly Tage Thompson right wing, which I'm not even yeah. sure why they why? did that. So I feel like they're usually not too stingy with those positions once the player's been there for a little bit. So right here, let me give you a comparison here. Let's say Lundell is out there, and let's say also another recent top liner who's getting some success in Quinton Byfield. Let's say he was also out there in free agency. He's been playing on the top line in LA with Kopitar and Kempe, and Byfield is currently, I think we talked about him on a recent show. He's not like on a super hot streak, but he did score a goal against Nashville. Let's Let's say you're choosing between Lundell and Byfield. Which way would you go? I'd go Lundell in a heartbeat, even though Byfield, yeah, he had that goal and he took four shots on Saturday night, which is great for Quinton Byfield. I'm not even kidding. Elon, that four shot game for Byfield, that represents 25% of Byfield's full season shot totals. Yeah, Byfield has now 20 shots in 19 games. Four of them came on Saturday, and three of them came in a single night two weeks ago also. So Byfield, he doesn't shoot. Uh, Maybe he'll point a little more often on that top line. Like, this is all a good sign, but Byfield is is a tough guy to roster because points aren't coming consistently, and he does absolutely nothing else across the board. So yeah, I will lean. Uh, I will lean on the Lundell side without much hesitation. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Byfield's kind of interesting, but yeah, Lundell on another level for sure. Uh, let's do another outro here. Let's go to Pittsburgh, where both uh, Tristan Jari and Jeff Petrie have returned to the lineup, and Chris Letang is at practice, so maybe he'll be back sometime soon as well. Uh, but in the meantime, Jeff Petrie has been manning the top power play. Uh, he had an assist today at even strength on uh, Sidney Crosby goal. Brian, you recently traded away Jeff Petrie, I remember, in the Cupful. Uh, like, uh, do you, is, is this the kind of thing where he's interesting for now, you know, while he's on the top power play, but once Latang is back, you'll be happy that he's, you know, off your roster. Or do you think maybe it's something that you're starting to, I don't, I don't want to like pitch it this way as if like, it's something you regret. I'm sure you don't regret it. I'm sure. And like you said, you've got to win against the top team this week, but I, I should mention Petrie now has, uh, assists in three out of his last four games. So, you know, look at only two games since his return. He's had an assist in both of those games and four shots in each of those games. He also had three and six hit. Like he's been doing really well in these two games i guess pittsburgh's been leaning on him so we don't know what's gonna happen when Latang is back but definitely needed to shout him out and, and tristan jari's back and, and doing well like not surprising he's, he's much better than casey de smith yeah so petrie I, I do miss a little bit uh, my current decor is uh d- the decor i had for most of this week is jake wallman which is great nick blankenberg we'll get to him in a little bit and then owen power and dylan Demello. like it's a it's a really weak thin crop of d without Latang. uh so it's hurt like i i would have definitely rather had petrie than at least three of my roster defensemen if not more uh so it, it's it's great news for anybody who does have Petrie, though. Uh, this is a great spot for him to be, especially if Latang said, like he said today, he might not be back until after the All Star break. So if that happens, this is great for Petrie, who's done well replacing Latang in previous absences for Latang. So good value there for Jeff Petrie until uh, until Chris Latang is back. And I think the best case for Petrie once Latang is back is that he's the second defenseman on the top power plane, which has happened earlier this season. I can't imagine. And he bumps Latang unless Latang isn't totally physically or mentally ready for the role. Uh, and at which point, if Petrie isn't on the top power play, the reason I traded him is I, I don't think he's terribly rosterable once he's off that top unit, which is where I expect him to spend his time. But yeah, we'll see how he does in this little audition and uh, go out and grab him for at least the week or at least the next game, I guess, or at least until Latang is back and hold him for at least that long. Yeah, it may be a bit longer because, like you say, we'll have to see how Latang looks after he's had this like rough season and yet another injury. Uh, let's do a couple more outries over in St. Louis. I don't really have much to like to say in terms of analysis or questions, but I just wanted to point out Tarasenko and Tori Krug both have been like practicing and apparently are going to be back soon. So, like St. Louis, the lines have been shaken up a lot recently. Brandon Saad was recently with Cairo and Robert Thomas, and then Shannon Buchnevich were playing with Jake Neighbors, so kind of splitting up. If you recall, the last time we talked about St. Louis, they were just loading up Buchnevich. Buchnevich, Cairo, and Rob Thomas all on that top line. Uh, but soon they'll have Tarasenko back. We'll get another shakeup. Over on D, Justin Falk continues to get the majority of the power play time, so he'll probably just go back to splitting with Tori Krug. Like, I can't imagine we're going to be too surprised with anything that happens. Nice to see, by the way, Justin Falk get a couple points. He was so cold, which was so surprising, considering he took over that top power play. But he does have assists in each of his last couple of games. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything interesting to say about the Blues situation, aside from just expect things to go back to normal once these guys are back? No, I have nothing interesting to say. Let's let's wait for them to come back and then we'll talk more about it. I, I like Krug has a great opportunity to step into because Justin Falk hasn't been super strong in the role that Krug is sometimes battling him for. So that's good news for anybody rostering Krug. And then Tarasenko, well, hopefully he'll just get back to business. But again, let's wait. I, I said I had nothing interesting to say. I think you'll all agree that was not a lie. <laughs> okay. 
Let's do one more injury, and then we'll get to more line shakeups and hot and cold streaks. But I guess we'll mention Alex Stalock quickly. He's hurt over in Chicago again, unfortunately, because he was like looking pretty good in the games he did play. But Stalock is back in the concussion protocol. This could be the kind of thing where he's just done, right? Like, who knows with injuries like this for someone who has such a history. Uh, in the meantime, someone named Jackson Stober played a game against St. Louis and stopped 29 of 32 and got a win. So, Brian, Jackson Stober is now, I guess, the backup to Petr Mrazek. But, like, come on. Like, Petr Mrazek just has been really weak for so long. But I don't know who anything about Jackson Stober. So, do you think there's a chance? Is this just the kind of, You could just tell me, like, just stop asking me about these Chicago goalies. Like, it's not going to work out for anybody. And maybe they'll go 50-50 and both stink. But, like, who is this guy? Is there anything to him? Uh, should we be interested as potentially the next Alex Stalock, a surprising goalie in Chicago who will put up some decent numbers somehow? No, I don't know, Elon. Like, I, I love that we're digging deep here to find out. Jackson Stopper is the son of journeyman ending teller Rob with two Bs. Stopper, who actually finished his career playing for Jacksonville of uh, a couple, like I think they're the, the league that Jacksonville is playing in. Now it's the Southern Professional Hockey League. It was also the Atlantic Coast. Anyway, whatever. It's a nothing league, like below the ECHL. And uh, I don't know if it would be weird to play in Jacksonville when you've named your kid Jack. I don't know. Okay, that's not what you asked. Uh, Jackson. I don't, get, wait, what, what, I don't even get what you're talking about. You're saying it's interesting? Like Jacksonville. I don't know. It's just, uh, Do I don't know. Do you think he know. named his kid after his team? Is that what you're saying? No, he played for the team like when his kid was like five or six years old. Maybe okay. he went to play for the team because it, it would amuse his kid. I don't know. It's fun, not spelled the same. Fun fact. Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's really like a tepid fact. Mediocre. Um, <laughs> we should do a whole un- episode of like pl- players who play <laughs> on teams that sound like their kids' names. And yeah. see if we can build up a, a big list here. I'm I'm curious to see if yeah, we could do tweet that. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if you have any examples. <laughs> That's a, that's the best tweeted us at Keeping Carlson you've ever mentioned. Uh, Jackson Stopper, he's 23 years old. He's uh, he's not long out of college. He finished his career, his college career with Providence back in 2021-22. He was good there in Hockey East. And then, uh, yeah, he's gotten a season. Uh, this is his first pro season, 896 and 12 starts with Rockford of the HL. And I, I don't know why I'd expect him to do any better in the NHL, but I guess we'll, we'll see if he's got anything in him. If anything, like I'd say maybe a few random good games is what we can hope for from Stauber. He is 23, no pedigree undrafted. So this isn't and playing on a team that has a uh, little offensive support and even less defensive support. So a tough situation, not somebody I'm going to stream in unless I'm uh, in, in the highest of desperation modes. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of digging deep, by the way, I guess I have to mention, I think we're con- contractually obligated to talk about a player on Chicago on a hot streak if it happens, right? Even though I know that it's not going to last and I don't even need to waste too much of your time talking about it. But Jonathan Taves has been hot lately. Uh, he had points in like a four straight games before going pointless versus St. Louis. And right now we're halfway through this game versus LA. So nothing yet, but we'll see what happens. And also Tyler Johnson has all of a sudden shown up on our score sheets. He had four points in four games going into today's game versus again, LA and Taijo is playing on the top line with Max Domi and Patrick Kane. So I feel like uh, let's put it this way. If Max Domi is rostered in your league, is it fair to say that maybe Tyler Johnson should be as well? Would you concede at least that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll concede at least at least that. You know who I think you're missing here, though, Elon, is another uh, Chicago player who's doing really well, and that's Taylor Radish with six okay. points, 
16 shots in his last six games. Like, who uh, who are we just talking about? Six points in six games. Tavo Teravainen? Yeah, Tavo Teravainen. I'll take Teravainen uh, over got, Taylor Radish, uh, I think. Well, t- Taylor Radish is also on the top power play, oh. too. And, like, we know he's probably there to stay, too, because he spent there all. Anyway, I'd also prefer Tavo Teravainen. But Taylor Radish, uh, yeah, two and a half shots a game, point per game over his last six, power play one deployment. He's someone I'd be more interested in than uh, really any Chicago player not named Kane Jones, or I guess Domi. Uh, Jonathan Taves, yeah, making a push with three shots uh, in his last four games. He just happens to have scored on two of those three shots in his last four games. And yeah, Tyler Johnson may be a, a little more interesting than Jonathan Taves. But if I had to stream in a Chicago player, I'm going Taylor Radish. I'm going to go Tyler Johnson, but I definitely don't want to bet on it because who cares? Okay. So, Brian, uh, let's do just a quick headline, actually. This isn't about a player, but I guess we got to talk about this news out of Vancouver, right? Bruce Boudreaux is out. People are really upset about it. I'm going to be honest. You know that meme where it's like the guy, for, uh, Andy, from Parks and Rec, and it's like, I, I haven't been paying attention, and now I'm kind of afraid to ask? Like I, I just like missed something. I see all these tweets about people being really upset about Bruce Boudreaux being fired. I guess it's because like he knew he was going to be fired, but like they didn't tell him. Or I don't know. People seem to be saying that Vancouver didn't handle this quickly. So could you just quickly educate me on why we should be upset about this? And then also, maybe as a more fantasy-relevant question to you, Rick Tockett is the new coach now. I know you sometimes have takes about when a team like changes their coach, if that could be good or bad for some of the players. So is there anything to watch out for with Vancouver having a new uh, coaching staff going into the second half of the year? Okay. If you're asking me to recap the situation, I don't know where to start. Elon, there's a lot of great um, tweeters. Like the, the Canucks Twitter, as for any struggling team, especially with a completely dysfunctional front office, the, the Twitter game is really strong. So I, I'd suggest you find uh, Thomas Drance and Taj, I think it's Taj1944, something like that. Uh, you've got, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. His name, uh, Wyatt Arndt at the stanchion. And, uh, don't you got, hate it uh, when you're like chatting with someone listener and you ask them a question they're like just go read these books I don't want to explain <laughs> it so you go read some stuff and I'm then just, come back you've to got <laughs> Patrick no, Johnston yeah. on Twitter at Rising Action on Twitter he's the reporter for the Vancouver province like this has all been well documented it, it, the reason I'm saying go check out these guys is I can't begin to do justice what a what Shams a gave us a TLDR here in the chat cluster of trucks that th- <laughs> it's been in, in Vancouver Shams is saying they all but fired him in December and left yeah. him dead man walking for weeks and they were talking to a new coach last month. Rude. That's rude. The news the news was out that Rick Tockett was replacing Bruce Boudreaux for weeks already. And as Shams said, like everyone was like, well, why not just do it? And then it was, oh, well, Rick Tockett has a, con- a TV contract uh. that they'd have to wait out. But Boudreaux knew, Tockett knew, and then Elliot Friedman knew, and everyone knew. Uh, that this was going to happen. And Boudreaux had to like go behind the bench and he looked awful. Like he got emotional in interviews. Like he really, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And a lot of people joined his side because nobody likes Canucks management. They've been, they've been kneecapping that team from the, from ownership and ownership's chosen front offices for the better part of a decade saying, yeah, we're just going to retool. We've got a good core. We're a couple of pieces or a couple of years away and then making so many decisions that hurt the long-term, the, the short, medium and long-term health of the, of the franchise somehow. If, if you could help one of those things at a time, 
good for you. Like, just get one of those three, and no one will absolutely hate you as much as Canucks fans have the right to dislike their front office. Okay, so there's a, a quick recap of, of, of the Vancouver situation. Um, I guess if we're looking for a change... Actually, we had a question on our Discord server from Shredmontonian today who who tagged everybody who has identified themselves as a Vancouver Canucks follower, which is it's a really helpful feature of our server if you want to know more about a specific team. So, uh, I mean, all the Canucks fans amongst their patrons came out and said how embarrassing this was. And I, I think the overall feel is that Vancouver should tank, right? They should they shouldn't get better. That would be a bad move for the rest of the season at this point. Connor Bedard would be really the only reason to justify all the hurt and pain that this team has had to go through and their fan base has gone through all season long. But the players like I've been seeing uh, I don't know why, but I've had Canucks on a bunch over the last couple of weeks on my TV and they look so apathetic and disinterested. Like Leas Pedersen scored, he didn't even seem like he cared. This was a couple of games ago. Like and it wasn't I mean, it wasn't, it was still a close game or in contest, but they weren't going to win. Everybody knew the Canucks are playing like a team that knows they're not going to win. You know, so I imagine a new coach comes in, maybe everyone gets a bit of a kick in the pants, but here's the thing, like Elias Pettersson is already on pace for a career season. So is Quinn Hughes. Brock Besser is basically meeting expectations. So if you look around and think, okay, who's going to get better from this? I don't know. I know, like maybe the one name that came out uh, in our chat on our Discord server was Connor Garland, somebody who hasn't really found his place and played with Rick Tockett uh, in Arizona. Ethan mentioned that. Thanks, Ethan, for mentioning it. Uh, and, and Terry added that you know Garland just really yeah hasn't clicked anywhere in the lineup so maybe he's somebody who could benefit uh and terry also shared and i'll share this straight from the fan the the mouth of a canucks fan uh i see it as rick will, will come in and want to tighten up the ship less running gun more structure the power play will still be good could see them mix up some lines and the biggest thing from here on out is Tockett is going to be looking to see what he has in the longer term so to figure out what management should do going forward. I, I expect if they rattle off 10 consecutive wins, that's a big loss for the Canucks and their organization at this point. So maybe, you know, to, like reinforce some structure and rigor and pride in the players and organization, but hopefully keep losing. And like I mentioned, there's there's not a whole lot of room for Vancouver players to produce more than they've already been producing this year. Right. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty good rundown, I think. Yeah, it would def- definitely make sense for them to take. Thankfully for them, they haven't traded away a first-round pick this year, as far as I know. I guess Oliver ekman Larson also played with Rick Tockett, right, over in Arizona, but he, he's coached. Yeah, I think I heard that they did not necessarily gel. Right, well... Yeah, if only Rick Tock could come in and help management like reverse that decision to trade for Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland. But that ship has obviously sailed. Brian, before we uh, take a break and go into part two, uh, I just want to go back quickly to our Carolina talk because we did have a question from our patrons. I asked if anyone has any questions that they want us to tackle here in, in the episode. And I accidentally skipped over a Brandon's question. He wanted us to talk about quickly about Martin Nachas. Only two points in his last five games. He said, not bad, I guess, but feels like the coldest he's been. And his ice time looks down. Should these Martin Nachas managers be concerned that maybe all the the good times from the start of the year are starting to wear off and he's going to maybe cool off maybe like kind of a Tyler Bertuzzi from last year like super red hot start and then was sort of meh for the second half 
I guess it's possible. Like, Natchez has seen a bit of a dip in time on ice lately, and with Pacioretty's return, you know, that does throw, uh, well, everybody's future into question a little bit to see just how well they're all going to continue to do. And Natchez has been having a really great season, so you don't want to rock the boat. Um, And so long as Natchez, like, holds all the deployment he's had, I don't see any reason to be so concerned that the end is suddenly near. I don't think Natchez has been overperforming um, really at in any situation or strength. Like all his numbers seem pretty on the level. So Natchez is having a really great season. And I think this is, uh, to me, just a cold stretch. All right, great. So if anything, go and get him if someone else is nervous. All right, Brian, this has been a blast. We've covered so much. We're only halfway through here. So hopefully people have been enjoying the show and we're going to take a break in terms of ending the episode, but we're going to get right on recording part two of this mega episode. So if you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your shows, you should already have part two waiting for you. If you're not subscribed, that would actually help us out. So please do so and download the show uh, and every single episode that we do. Even the ones you don't listen to, download it because you may decide later on you want to listen to it and you'll be in a tunnel and you won't be able to listen because you didn't download it in advance. So a little pro tip there. But okay, uh, we'll be back with a lot more. We're going to go through some hot streaks. Should I give us a little uh, preview here? I wanted to talk about some line shakeups over in Boston. Colorado has been doing some interesting things. Winnipeg's been changing things up. And then yeah, I want to talk about like Jack Roslovic. He's hot. Blankenberg, Brian, you hinted at. And then some like cold defensemen, Sergachev, God. Where have these guys gone? So we'll get to them and a bunch more players in part two. So thanks for listening, and we will be back soon. See you later. See you soon. I don't know. See you when we see you. Bye.